You look like you've got some pretty big news, Tyler. Yeah, I do have some pretty big news about Welcome to the North Side, the world's biggest U2 fan festival. It's in Dublin, celebrating its fifth year running. And I heard it's at the Church Bar. It is, one of Dublin's busiest bars and tourist attractions. Mm, I've been there, you've been there, but what date specifically? Uh, well, that'll be this September 2020, from the 25th to the 27th. So from what I've been hearing, 2020 is set to be the biggest event yet. It is indeed. We're going to be celebrating U2's 44th anniversary with three of the top U2 tribute bands in the world. I think I might have met one of these bands, but do you want to tell us about all three? Yeah, well, on Friday, the 25th, we'll be kicking off the festival with The Joshua Tree. They've travelled the world many, many times, and let me tell you, if you're in Dublin on September the 27th, 2020, you do not want to miss Welcome to the Northside Festival. Okay, that's Friday, but what about Saturday? Well, on Saturday, the 26th of September, U2 Baby will be taking the stage. And we know how good they are. And for the finale on Sunday, what's going to be happening on the 27th? Who will we be seeing? On the 27th, it'll be Dublin's own Zoo Roper. What a lovely way to finish the weekend. And apparently there's going to be some uh, some other stuff, including something to do with design and art. What's, what's going on? What's, what's all this about? Well, this is a bit top secret, but just between me and you... There will be an exhibition from U2's own graphic designers, AMP Visuals. And that will be taking place where? That will be taking place all throughout the weekend at the church bar. Alright, okay. A lot of information. Just sum this all up for me, please. So no matter where you are in the world, this is an absolute must for any U2 fan. Emanating from the heart of the north side of Dublin, there really is no better place to be this September. Okay, and if I forget any of that, where can I get some more information? We can always go to www.welcometothenorthside.ie. Cheers, and now let's listen to the episode. All right, Johnny. All right, Tyler. You're a fan of U2, aren't you? Just a bit. Then you might like Hot Fuss by The Killers. So as the strains of Mr. Brightside die away, it's time for another edition of Review 2's Tummel, or Then You Might Like. And today we've got Hot Fuzz by the Las Vegas-based rock band The Killers. This takes me right back. It was released in 2004, and this is such a stripped down memory lane for me. So yeah. I, I remember getting this album. It was Christmas Day. I'd, um, I know that sounds really weird because it was released in June in, in this country. Um but I'd, I'd heard a lot of the singles, and back in those days, it wasn't that that surprising to wait a while to get a proper copy of the CD. I think I may, might have burned one off someone else or something like that. So Christmas Day, I got my own copy of Hot Fuzz, that beautiful blue kind of sky blue cover. And I remember also getting a bottle of uh, Bombay Sapphire gin given to me by my parents, <laughs> of all people. How old are you then? 17? Not of age, I think. <laughs> but I did like gin. Um, drink responsibly. Right. And also, my wallpaper was this um, blue colour at the same time. So this whole album, it's really weird. I associate it with that kind of like bluey sort of colour and the music whenever I put this album on. It's that synesthesia sort of thing of, you know, one sense being stimulated by another. I just have this weird blue feeling. So it's it's a, an album that I have a really weird connection with and I know absolutely inside out. Although, I've not listened to it for a long time. Had you? Um, no, I hadn't. 
but I have very similar feelings to you. It's a time in my life, mm. this album. Um, it, and when I look back, there's so many like huge bands that started. Maybe not still. They're not huge anymore, but they were huge at that time. Yeah, they were of a of an ilk, weren't they? The Killers yeah. with I'd say Razorlight, The Bravery, Kaiser Chiefs. There's this indie explosion, wasn't there? I think it's called indie landfill. I think that's how it's referred to. <laughs> yes, that's but a very good. Way Franz Ferdinand and Arctic Monkeys and um, the Streets. And it was just all these people. The Zootons. Yeah, um, magic numbers. Keen. All eights, if you ask me. Right, yeah, haha. Go on. <laughs> so, um, so there's this this time of music, which I really, I know I didn't appreciate enough at the time. Because for mm-hmm. being a 14-year-old boy, that should have been everything to me. Yeah. And it and it wasn't. And, I, and now yeah. I look back at it and go, man, there were so many great, albums maybe not bands a lot of great albums in a 12 month period and i don't think i've ever seen that happen since yeah maybe i'm wrong maybe it was just because i was so young and i was so plugged in Mm. to the music scene then but i don't think it's happened since i think it's just because of the time that we've grown up you were 14 i was about 17 at that time um so Obviously, this is when music starts to mean everything. You start going to clubs and nights and just listening to music at friends' houses, that kind of thing, going to gigs. So, yeah, we had this indie explosion at the time. It probably is just because we were coming of age at that time and sharing a lot of this music with our friends, Uh, you know, that kind of who do you like. This would have been the time period where I would have kept you two quiet. I would have mentioned probably bands more like The Killers. Which is crazy considering how much the killers are influenced by U2 and probably not mention U2 as one of my favourite bands straight away. Um, what, what I find interesting is that U2, it was still acceptable to like them at this point. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, this true. is the year Atomic Bomb came out. Yep, Vertigo number one. So I really don't think that the tide had turned for U2 in no, terms of public perception. But, and this is going to come up quite a lot in this episode, but there was a whole discussion being generated over what was indie and what was not indie at the time. And this term got used for it's so loosely. And what used to be a term from America, as far as I know from America anyway, about independent labels, i.e. not on major music labels, bands like, you know, when, when R.E.M. first started, that kind of thing would be my, my kind of go-to. You know, bands that had an authenticity and weren't trying to be um, manufactured by the man, you know, that kind of thing. Cut to 2004, we've got the song Indie Rock and Roll for me, which is, I mean, it really demonstrates this whole issue. What does indie even mean by then, if this is so popular and so mainstream? And also, what is the stance? Is it ironic or is it not? And I think a lot of people have misinterpreted that song. Anyway, we'll get to that later on, won't we? Um, okay, so let's do some details then. So, um, obviously, it's by The Killers. It was released um, June the 4th, 2004, and June the 15th in the United States. And this is apparently an incredibly successful album. I mean, it's one that I would say defines the 2000s. If when we look back in 40 years, we're saying, okay, what were the hits? You know, people look back on the 80s, that kind of thing. I think Mr. Brightside has got to be one of the absolutely defining songs of, of this decade. Yeah. In the 2000s. Certainly, yeah. yeah. Um, I won't bother reading out all the Wikipedia stuff about how incredibly successful it is. Um, but, I mean, more than 7 million copies sold worldwide. A massive amount of awards. But at the time, not amazingly well received critically. A lot of people, and particularly critics, were a bit sneery about this. I could see a lot of 6 out of 10s, 5.5 out of 10s, 7 out of 10s, that kind of thing. Whereas if you look at how successful this record's been and how 
it holds its place in the early 2000s. It doesn't reflect well. Well, I think that's the beauty of our placing because we can review this with a knowledge of discovering the album when it came out yep. and not having, not having any prior knowledge of who the killers are. Yep. So now, imagine being a 14-year-old coming to the killers now mm. and they've got this... It's kind of like us coming to you too. They've yep. got this reputation, this legacy behind them. Mm. We were there... And we were really at peak music listening age, yeah. where we can we can still see the killers as oh they don't seem like an old band to me because because I was I was into music before they came around I remember that album coming yeah. out I remember hearing those songs for the first time and now when I'm I'm in a pub and I hear a killer song played I'm like I, no I'm a part of this I'm a part yeah. of this fandom and I have been right from the beginning the way that we're kind of jealous of um, older U2 fans because they can say oh yeah I remember when Unforgettable Fire came out or when Pop came out and yeah. that, that's so great to be there um, at the actual time um, also hello to any Killers fans who may have stumbled across this I, I don't think there's going to be many people who've not got to us via review too but I think there's, you know. there's certainly a good crossover for you two and, and the Killers oh yeah I just think any anyone who's, who's found this because they were looking for a review of Hot Fuzz just Welcome to the whole shebang of Tummel and Review 2. Um, hopefully, you'll enjoy our review. I think it's going to be broadly positive. Um, let's do some new 2 connections first. So, obviously, the sound, which we'll talk about a lot. And not just the guitar, which is very edgy, but also Brandon Flowers' vocal range and his way of singing. I don't think they're the, they're the obvious go-to. I, I think Ronnie really? Venucci Jr., you think that's more? I close? think yeah. The the way he plays drums in that very military military esque style, yeah, is so that's so much more influenced than, than, than guitars or vocals. Nah. Brandon Flowers is a great singer. He yeah. can't help but be a great singer, yeah. right? Um, and um, I I just I just think that as we go through his album, you're gonna you're gonna notice the drum and bass. I, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it's this is a four piece as well. This is not a band where you've got just you know it could, you could interchange them. You know, I think the bass and the drums do so much on this album. But yeah, I, they really do. Yeah. But I think, I mean, look, the echoey guitar, the fact that he plays um, sometimes an Explorer, more more often than not, actually, an Ibanez Destroyer, which looks a lot like a Gibson Explorer, but um, but it's, it's not actually the same guitar. And the majority of this record, just like how Edge recorded the majority of Boy on an Explorer, the majority of this was recorded on an Ibanez Destroyer which is a guitar that has a certain kind of resonance and works really well with those high notes, harmonics, um, beautiful ringing riffs, you know, you've got a few notes played well. Um, so those are, that's a connection that we can talk about. Also the fact that the Killers have supported U2 on tour. And this annoyed me because when we went to watch U2 for the very, very first time, they had such supporting acts as Franz Ferdinand, Keane, Snow Patrol, Doves. I would have taken any one of those, and particularly the Killers, over who we got, which was was a Keen and no Keen. It was uh, we got Idlewild and Athlete. Oh God, that's even that's even worse. I have seen Keen. They supported Travis. Um, yeah, that's that's how forgettable Idlewild and Athlete were. I look, no I, to I really bands. like Athlete. Oh, I, no. I probably like Athlete more now than I did back then. I can't believe I ever liked Athlete because you can't get over that awful delivery. And the the fact that they were a successful rock band boggles the mind. I think. If you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to Athlete. There is an Athlete album called Live at Union Chapel, which I always end up listening to around Christmas, and I, it, it's a journey. It's it's really it's a really nice yeah, not a gig one. in a nice resonant room, um, church. 
chapel. Mm. Um, so I, I, re- I really do like that, that venue and that album. Um, and at the time, I appreciated Athlete, and so I didn't mind watching Athlete. I've like. been very happy for them to just say, sorry, Athlete and Idlewild are a bit ill. Idlewild are all right, actually. We always get stiffed when it comes to... Uh... No, we got Elbow. They were good. And I, I wouldn't mind doing Elbow on this at some point. I think that's a, not a bad shout in the future at some point. Well, you know, there are there are there are other bands that I'd, I'd there rather are, there get are, there, to. I mean, there are, there are other bands even closer to home that I'd, I'd rather do. Um, all right, so so um, when that happened, when they were supporting that, um, Brandon said, "We love you too. They're a kind of perfect band to us." Um, it says here, "Killers frontman Brandon Flowers gushed to MTV.com." So he, he apparently was very effusive in this. They've been around for 26 years or something. They've maintained the same four members. They're still relevant, still important, still grabbing 17-year-old kids and keeping 20 and keeping 45-year-old fans. They're perfect. They can do no wrong. They've got songs that will last forever. We're grateful they're having us out. So obviously, he was very happy about supporting you two. And I read another piece, I think it was in The Guardian, where um, Brandon Flowers was saying that something that we've actually been going over quite a few times, and we're not, I'm not saying this is our point uniquely, but that the last of the big bands, guitar bands anyway, Maybe that this is the last era of that. You know, we don't have the Rolling Stones and the Beatles anymore. You two are maybe the last example of that. And he was saying that the Killers, as a band, have not been hungry enough. I mean, I think he's blaming everyone else in the band, basically. Um, not been hungry enough to try and take that that kind of torch and keep running with it of you know being the biggest band in the world. He said that there's not that kind of drive and enthusiasm in the band for it. I think that for me, it's the fact that the the best bands now stay together because it's. It's obviously better for you. Mm. It's it's more financially viable, and yeah. I think record companies work harder to not lose those those great big earners. Mm. Whereas um, in decades gone by, it people maybe didn't know how to manage rock bands, and now yeah. Uh, and so I think I think, I think that that interrupts. Maybe if I I think if you gave me Hot Fuzz, Sam's Town, um, and uh, Battleborn? No, um, the one with human on it. Oh, day and age. Day and age. If you gave you me to the bigger killer film, I am. Yeah. <laughs> if you gave me those three albums, mm-hmm. uh, and the killers just went, no, that's it. Splitsville. Fantastic. I, I, what a huge, how huge would they very, be? And very people, strong pedigree. People will be able to come back. It's kind of like the Nirvana thing. You can come. You've got a small amount. Of, of albums to come back to yeah. it's very easy to listen to everything they ever did just like the Smiths as well and that means you get yeah. a critical reputation whereas the Killers have for better or for worse in my opinion for worse um, just carried on and made kind of some mediocre choices I would say I also as I said last episode I don't really get solo projects that much when it sounds actually Hayley Mary's um, releasing the Jezebel solo stuff actually does sound different enough that I, I get it it makes total sense but the Brandon, Piss and the Perfume. I think we've now promoted that album more than anybody else. <laughs> awful title, but but nice album. What I've heard of it is great. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah, the Killers. Brandon Flowers' new album. It just sounds like it sounds like a Killers album, just not as good. Yeah. Um. So uh, yeah, we we spent a bit of time doing going through that. So we'll get onto the chart now. Yeah. Sorry. Um. Guys. So uh. Yeah. Do you want to do your regular your thing? Oh. Uh. Yes. Let me find the record. Oh, there we go. Hit it. In at number 10, debuting on the chart, it's Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Number 9, also new, Story of My Life by Christian Liantro. Number 8, Left Outside Alone by Anastasia, also my song of the decade, by the way. Good song. Uh, Number 7, Dip It Low by Christian Milan. Number 6, debuting on the chart, Blood, Sweat and Tears by V. 
Number five, On My Knees by 411 featuring Ghostface Killer. Number four, Hotel by Cassidy featuring R. Kelly. Number three, F It, Don't Want You Back by Eamon. You're welcome, Johnny. Number two, New On The Chart, Trick Me by Khalees. And number one, F-U-R-B by Frankie. Yeah, so if you if you cast your mind back to that time, that was that whole girlfriend boyfriend um, relationship spat that was that sort of dominated the charts. Though it was um, the number one and the number four. Is it the number one, number four, whatever? Number was, number one and number three. Right. So yeah, where two people were publicly releasing um, in a very cynical marketing move. Um, I don't think they were actually in a relationship. I don't care. They're just morons. I don't want to hear. No, I any- think they were just collaborating. I don't. I don't. I mean, I mean, maybe I'm not bothered enough to go back and check that out. No. Well, anyway, that's what was going on. And yes, the killers was in, was in there. Um, were in there as um, with Mr. Brightside, um, which, as we said before, dominated the charts at this particular time, or at least dominated the dance floors of. Uh, well, certainly northern clubs around around Britain still dominates my local pub when it's karaoke night. It certainly does. Let's save that. <laughs> let's, let's save Mr. Brightside for when he turns up later. First of all, Jenny was a friend of mine. So this is the first song. Uh, it's four minutes and four seconds long. Written by Flowers and Stormer. So it's Stormer, or Sturmer, we don't really know how it's pronounced, it doesn't really matter too much. And he's the bassist, isn't he, Stormer? Sturmer's the bassist, yeah. Yeah. So Dave Kooning and, um, what's Stormer's first name? Mark. Mark Stormer. Mm -hmm. They're very much the Adam and Larry in this band, in that people seem to not know who they are. Or at least I don't, maybe I'm being a bit ignorant though. They're always, they're people who, they're very talented, obviously. Um, I've always been slightly kind of peeved at the way I see them perform on stage, because... Obviously, they've got a difficult job. Well, not a difficult job, but you know, they're doing something technically difficult on stage. But particularly the bassist, Stormer, looks so bored a lot of the time. Maybe it's just the way his face hangs. Maybe he's got resting bored face or something. But <laughs> Is that I, a thing, or have we just coined that? Now. Um, like, but he, he... But, yeah, he just, he, I'm, I'm thinking, you're, you're playing Jenny was a friend of mine. Show a bit more, you know, kind of fun and engagement with this whole thing. But, anyway, that's, that's by the by. What we can say is this has got a fantastic bassline. I can't listen to this song without just you know smiling and loving that bassline, especially how it comes in at the start of the and it's just so memorable. And it's rare that you have an opening track in an album where you say, "Oh yeah, that bassline straight away." Well, before we get to that, the intro, you know, it's kind of yeah. For me, that's like tuning in a radio. Yep. And I I I think anyone who's listened to a lot of our Tomo reviews or a lot of our review to uh, review two episodes will know that I like to be transported into a, a into an album I like something <laughs> and that could be where well, the streets have no name on Zeropa. the Joshua tree it could be Zeropa. Um there's, there's I really like it where yeah. you put an album on and it's like and, and it, it feels like the world is changing around yeah. you and you're stepping into it yeah I, I like that and I like how this kind of that works as connective tissue between the songs there is a lot of bleed between the songs with little synthesizer um, bits, bits that start songs, um, end songs as well. So, yeah, later on we'll talk about that as well. The, the synthesizer being used as kind of padding between the basic, you know, elements of guitar, bass, drums, voice. I really like that as well. Um, 
Songs for the Death by Queens of Stone Age is probably the best example of that, where it takes you... I know you don't like Queens of Stone Age, but... I don't mind Queens of Stone Age. Oh, okay. I just never... Never got into them. Yeah, never got into them. But that's yeah. a really good example, because that begins with you... You literally hear a car door shutting, you hear the beep sound from someone, you know, when you've not put your seatbelt on, and then tuning into a radio, and the song... It's like you go into the dashboard, you know, and you hear the song on the radio. It's such a good journey. It's yeah. really good. Um, so, uh, it's actually... This, this song actually starts off pretty... Slow, steady pace, but it's 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 you know you know it's going somewhere, but there's a nice steady drum beat behind yeah. it, and very quickly it starts to become its own kind of thing, mm. um, uh, and it, the synth when the vocal kicks in that's where I think that's where it would get most people. They're the first two identifiable melodies. Yeah. But there's, there's always a lot of different melodies working almost against each other in killer yeah. songs. And the and the, the the killers are really good at polishing down a melody to make it incredibly catchy. So I mean, this is melodrama, but it's also incredibly melodic at the same time. And it's a it's a song that sticks with you because it does have an almost like a sense of a narrative going on. Now apparently, this is a three piece um, part of a three piece, a trilogy. With Midnight Show, which is later on in this album, and then I didn't know that. Well, it's this is well. The thing is, this is it's meant to be this whole murder um, thing that's gone on. So, right. Okay. So Jenny was a friend of mine. The basic narrative that's in that story is that you have an unknown kind of speaker played by Brandon Flowers, who's being interviewed by the police. starring Brandon Flowers. I mean, he, he Jenny look, was a friend of mine in lo- cinemas. Now he looks like a kind of matinee idol a bit, you know, from the thirties or something or fifties or whatever. Um, but you have him, and he's playing this person who has um, potentially murdered someone, and the police suspect him, but they've maybe not got any proof. And then he obviously says, well, why would I kill her? Because Jenny was a friend of mine. Um, and Midnight Show apparently extends that narrative, and it's the moment where he actually does kill her. The thing is, what I like about this song is the ambiguity. So th- you don't actually realise. He doesn't come out and say, I'm a killer, ooh, or anything. Yeah, I, I like that there's such depth. I mean, I, I, I've, I've said of the composition of this song, it's really intelligent the way each each um, musician is doing something very kind of different but they're, they're putting their own stamp on it yep. there's melodies working all the way through it yeah. it's almost impossible not to get hooked on this on this song mm. it's gonna it's gonna get you one way or another and there's so many different elements of the song that can get you mm. it's it, I, I was just listening to this kind of in awe as somebody that's tried to write my own songs in the past yeah. how much is actually going on and mm. I, I mean Johnny is normally the one that will recommend you go away and just just Put the put this on closed cans. He normally says, uh, <laughs> but um, I I think he definitely need. If you've not heard this album in a long time, definitely definitely go away. Yep. Closed cans. Listen to everything that's going on because there's so much. There's it's a you, feast for your ears. There's stuff you've forgotten about as well. Um, so it's little little noises or ways that things have been balanced. Um, which I'll come back to when we do Mr. Brightside in a second or two, but stuff that I had forgotten. And because some of these songs are so familiar, because you just hear them out, you know, you could be walking around Tesco and hear Mr. Brightside and think, oh God, I'm sick of this song. <laughs> but then when you listen to it in closed cans, then it, it does feel a lot more vibrant and fresh. Um, the thing that I remember about this is, and is so impressive, and Ronnie Venucci is an incredible drummer. Has he got like a PhD in drumming or something? Uh I, I don't know if it's a PhD. He's got a degree in he, drumming. He's ridiculous. Yeah, he's um, ac- academically well versed in drumming. Yeah. yeah. So he's not just a good drummer. He's you know theoretically a fantastic drummer as well. Yeah. And this is one of the songs. And there's lots of these on the record where 
normally I don't think most people would be able to tell you or replicate, you know, just your average person, drum beats and things like that. But think about all the occasions, like for example, in somebody told me we've got like doom doom, somebody told me. In a in a club, that's a moment where you know you see a whole dance floor do the same thing. Um there's lots of moments like that on this record. Like at the start of here where it goes like he goes like and it fits so well with what the bass is going on that must have sounded amazing something that um, I was thinking you know the um, the thing you told me about Alice Cooper and what was the thing I told you about Alice Cooper because Larry Mullen Jr. from U2 oh yeah yeah, yeah. uh, did the drums on a recent Cooper album and he asked to see the lyrics yeah and he was like that's so amazing to me that a drummer would have to see my lyrics. Yeah, and then when we were talking to U2 Baby yeah. uh, a, a couple of months ago, um, they were saying how Larry can put the... Place the beat wherever he wants. Yeah, put the emphasis or a um, a pun- you know a punctuation yeah. w- with with the drums and any, anywhere he wants yeah. to. And I was, I was thinking of those two things mm. when I was listening to this al- album yeah. and it just I, I really get that sense. Mm. Um, Ronnie Venucci Jr. might be my second favourite drummer after after Mr. Mullen. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, there's there's always two melodies going on in this song. Always two different melodies going on, which is really really interesting for me. Um, this hasn't always been a big favourite of mine, um, but good golly, Josh and Gee Whiz. I've had a lot of fun listening to it this week. <laughs> it's um, it's an absolute banger of a song. <laughs> I think it's also yeah, it's also just a fantastic opener to an album. I think you'd have a lot of execs saying, "Put Mr. Brightside first. That's the big single. Everyone's singing it. That sort of thing." No, this is the this is the opening, and this brings us into the world of the Killers in a way that I think is there's no better song that they could have opened the album with here. It's got glamour. It's got melody. Every single instrument is doing something fantastic and interesting. Yeah. And yeah, that, that last bit as well, where it's going the do, 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 and it becomes anthemic. You could you could listen to that all the time. I'm getting goosebumps thinking I, about I it. actually want to listen to it now. Should we, should so. Sob this off and just go and listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, moving on, uh, next track is Mr. Brightside in at 3 minutes 43 seconds. This is the mm. debut single released September the 29th, 2003. Nine months before it comes, before the album comes out. It was a, it was a different time. I mean, that's a, that's a really long time. That, mm. that, that's a baby. That nine months. Well, I know that, um, I know that the Killers had a checkered history of releasing things because I think they released stuff originally. I think particularly somebody told me. Oh, some things were re-recorded, weren't they? Yeah, some things were re-recorded. Any dedicated Killers fans who listen to this probably couldn't hurt her right now, but I was just being a bit too vague about this. But as far as I know, there were problems with releasing things and people expecting records to gain traction and them not hitting at the right time. And then, and then apart from that, they originally recorded everything. I think this is the only song that they kept from the original recording sessions because it had a sense of spontaneity about it. Well, this is the first song that they ever wrote together, Flowers and Cooning. Yeah, imagine it, that being the first song you've ever written. I mean, they're never going to... This song eclipses the rest of the killer's career, for better or for worse. The rest of their career will stand in the shadow. It's not like... Um, so, I mean, there's, there's there's great songs on I Will Follow, you know. Uh, sorry. On Boy. On Boy, yeah. Mm. Uh, like I Will Follow. And that's a song which is a favourite, people love it, but it doesn't dominate the rest of U2's career in the way that one with or without you do. You know, that sort of thing, where your average fan will know about it. Yeah, I think, I think um, you know, your average Joe on the street mm. would be pushed uh, to 
name a song on the on off boy. On, off boy yeah. yeah, exactly. And they might they might have a general awareness in the back of their mind of the walk away, walk away kind of chorus they might have heard at some point, but not really. But if we can talk about review two, oh sorry, you two for a minute. I'm always doing that. If if I if I can talk about you two for a minute, I do like that. You, there's a journey to the band, a musical journey, where you're you know the up to the Joshua Tree. Yeah. So right from the very beginnings of of Boy and then through yeah. October and, and and through all the albums and then they hit it big yeah. with the Joshua Tree. Whereas this I like that. fully formed. Yeah, this is this is possibly the biggest album they're ever ever gonna bring out. Not necessarily people's favourites and and, 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 and uh, hardcore fans' favourites. I I would say it's not my favourite Killers album, mm. but I would say this is my favourite Killers album. This is really really good. Yeah. This is really good. And I think this is a really difficult song to listen to and review because it is so it's so familiar. I mean, this song absolutely defined my... We, we asked this question on Twitter, actually, you know, what bands define the era you were growing up, up in, whether you like it or not. And this was a song that you just could not get away from. If you were, you know, if you were 17, 18, like me going out into, um, into Wigan and just sort of having a dance in clubs, that kind of thing. This would come on all the yeah. time. And it had such energy there. It hadn't just been overplayed to the incredible nth degree that it has now. What I, I find entertaining about that is um uh, so there's a a very a very good uh, indie um nightclub in in Wigan called Independence. Uh which is open I'm paying you, are we? Uh no, it's it's open way later than I'm comfortable with. <clears throat> but I'm just getting old. And any time I'm in there, I've always had too much to drink, and they're they're playing like the the you know the deeper indie stuff, like yeah. the the Morrissey stuff and the Smiths and yeah, um, uh, stuff stuff I can't even name. Uh, Ian Brown, you know, like the the, the real Manchester indie stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then a song like Mr. Brightside will come on, mm. and everybody loves it just as equally as all the you know the more grittier. Yeah. Um, more niche stuff. I mean, see any karaoke band these days, <laughs> this will probably be in, sorry, not karaoke, you know, wedding band, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if you go to a wedding, I can, I mean, I used to work at a wedding venue, so I would see, on a Saturday night, Friday night, I would see um, a lot of bands when people didn't do a DJ, they did live band. This would always be part of the, the set that they would do, always be in there, because you know it's a guaranteed floor filler. Yeah. You know, grandma's up, mum and dad are up, the kids are loving it, that kind of thing. Um, so let's let's talk about the actual song then. I yeah. guess um, I've got I, this is a masterclass in both songwriting and production, which I know sounds really pretentious coming from no, me. No, I, I agree. But, yeah. but but it really is. It's um, there's not one bit of it that's not just perfectly formed to to stick in your mind. And it doesn't. I mean, it moves by so fast. Yep. I think it is one of the shorter songs on the album. Uh, it 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 kind of comes in, does what it does, and then sods off. It doesn't. It what it won't hang around. No, it doesn't wallow or anything. Um, like that, no. And it's it it is really fast paced. Uh, I've said it. This is a song of a generation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I think bands strive for years and years to write a song like this. Uh, you can't mm. I, you can't plan for a song to have this impact. I think no. Um, and one of the reasons why the pace is so great apparently is because we've got a bit of a Ramon situation here because we've got second verse same as the first. Um, we've got this idea of 
just them not wanting to expand the lyrics. And I hadn't really recognised this fact at all, but they don't change the verses. They just keep it exactly the same. It's still just coming out of my cage. It's the expression that changes. Yeah. And little things that drop out, you know, the drums drop out for a moment and then they pick back up again. Yeah. It's another one of those moments, another Venucci moment, where, where you'll see people doing this song in public and they'll go, you know, they'll do the... When he says it was only a kiss a second time, they'll do the... You know, that kind of thing when it comes back in. Yeah. So it's incredibly catchy. No, I, I agree. What's good? What's great about it is anybody can sing this song. Brandon is nowhere near pushing his limits with this song. It's very kind of down down the line, very middle of his range. He's he's not going all over the place. It's yeah. not it's not a Bohemian Rhapsody. Except maybe at the end where he puts in a bit more energy. Yeah, no, I mean, I no but what, I, what I'm what i saying is everybody can sing this. Yeah. That's why it's so popular. Yes. It doesn't matter who you are. It, it's, it's not like Bohemian Rhapsody. It's not a Queen song. Thank God. Shut up. <laughs> I love it. But what I'm, what I'm saying, though, is but each of those songs would have a, a similar effect on a dance floor. Everybody would be singing along. Yeah. Every, the difference is that this is a lot easier. Ah, right. And a lot mean. easier to learn. Yeah. It's like, oh, I, would have... there's no talking about Scaramouche and, like, you you hear the lyrics once and you know them. The amount, I would love to hear a dance floor, you know, when people have put on, like, Bohemian Rhapsody. I was going to call it Bow Rap then and I was going to shoot myself in the head if I'd called it that. And, and, I'd love to see someone put on Bohemian Rhapsody and then film it and then somehow edit out the whole of you know the Bohemian Rhapsody and just see the absolute caterwauling madness that would be people doing all, that, all this stupid Galileo stuff. I and, think that'd be amazing. Ugh. Um, um, not just Brandon though. Um, I, I first name terms. I mean, I I wish I was still playing bass and I wish I could play drums just to because mm. it just seems so. And, I, and now you're yeah. more into the instrument side than I am. I, since this came out, I've. I've played this on drums a lot. Not well, but, you know, it's got such great energy and there's such fun to play, you know. How technical is it, though? Um, well, that's another, I guess this is another thing that proves your point. You can play this song relatively easily if you're not fussed about getting all of Venucci's inflections, you know. You yeah. can just play it pretty straight down the line. But to get all of the fills that he's doing, then um, that would be difficult. So you can, you can dress it up or down, I guess, as a song. But it's fun because of the pace and because of the intensity of it, I think. Yeah, I mean, in a way I've said here that it's much heavier than Jenny was a friend of mine, but it, de- it definitely doesn't sound heavy. I don't think anybody can listen to this and think it sounds heavy. I think if you take Brandon's voice off, you might think it sounds heavy in some places. It's definitely got an intensity about it. I think maybe intense rather than heavy is probably the best word. Yeah. And the other reason I think this song is translated so well, um, not just because it's got a beautiful edgy style riff, and I think it is a very edgy riff, that arpeggiated, you know, going do 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 It sounds a bit like edgy, a bit faster than edgy usually plays to be honest. Um, but I think this is because this is a song that the lyrics aren't that specific. They're specific enough that it seems to be, okay, it's about, and very poetic, you know, jealousy turning saints into the sea. It's about someone getting cheated on. Brandon said it's about an ex-girlfriend of his who cheated um, on him with someone else. Um, but I think when you're that age, and the, the age that I was you know, going into this particular record, you know, when I started listening to it, you are feeling like quite raw and vulnerable. And everyone's got that idea of being heartbroken, whether it's being cheated on or not, you know, heartbroken. The heartbreaks goes through this song, but then at the end you've got this whole optimism, but I'm, you know, I'm Mr. Brightside now. So yes, I'm feeling emotional and, you know, jealousy is making me feel, you know, all these incredibly intense emotions. But then there's that I'm Mr. Brightside now, which is like, well, screw it, I'm going to carry on. Which I think that's why the song has that, because it's got this like tragedy and like kind of a bright ending at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, this is it's fueled so many uh, nights out. 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, like, bet, I bet so. And I think it will continue to do so. The, uh, going back to the the pub just up the road uh, from me, oh. when when this when this plays, like it's not. It's not people my age getting up or, or our age getting mm. up. Well, they do get up, yeah. but the amount of younger people, you yeah. know, you know, like uh, 18, 19, 20-year-olds who just weren't here. Yeah. You know, they, they've grown up with that song. Like, we've grown up yeah. with, with um, just because I've mentioned it, Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, they. they what I'm saying is we yeah. weren't there when Bohemian Rhapsody was, was released. We grew up with that song. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't see that going away. No, it's it's going to be one of those things that, that lasts. And if you look at this list of bands that were around at the time, you know, um, the Zootons, the Bravery, Kaiser Chiefs, Razorlight, a lot of these people have fallen off. Some have gone on to, obviously, um, you know, greatness. Um, some are still just sort of bubbling away. Like Interpol, again, another band that are around. Editors, they're still going pretty strong um, yeah. and have not really dipped in terms of, well, actually, uh, Interpol dipped a massive amount, but the editors, you know, have carried on. But, this song will endure, and if you like it, like it or not, overplayed or not, it is it's here to stay, basically, Mister yeah. Burnside. No, I agree. Next track, then track three, "Smile Like You Mean It," three minutes fifty four seconds. Hmm. Um. This apparently is a, a very it's meant seen as a bit, a bit of a fan favorite, which I, I can get, and I've written on my notes. Um. This is. An instant Glastonbury fodder. This, um, I think, a lot of these these songs are they're almost made like designed by a supercomputer to get people going and chanting at Glastonbury. So obviously, as soon as this comes on, you'd have everyone going, you know, I, what is a huge crowd? I don't know. I'm in two minds about this really because, what? right? Um, I so I wrote these notes a week or two back yeah. when we. When I when I find when we knew what we were gonna do, um, <laughs> and when I was just starting to listen to the album again, but now two weeks later, I'm even questioning my own notes. So, just 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 going from what I've written, which is the U two song that I say is just a load of nerves? Um, nerves. Yeah, I think it's on No Line. Oh, oh, it no, might be No Line, no line on the, the It's horizon. No Line on the Horizon, right? Okay, so what do you uh, mean, mean nerves? Just, just uh, sorry, just really, really, <laughs> just, you. just really rubbish lyric and melody, and just like, oh, that'll do. Right. So I've always had a problem. So I've always had a problem with "Smile Like You Mean It" because I feel like uh, the chorus uh, doesn't go anywhere. It just stays on the same level. It doesn't go up. It doesn't go down. And it's always bored me because. Oh yeah, yeah. Well done. Get right. on with it. Even though, right. Right, even though you did that in, the, in a sort of stupid way, right, with no energy, I still wanted to go. It's so incredibly catchy. But, but I've always thought that, and, and it's just annoyed me because I like a chorus to go somewhere, and I and I think it's just I think it's just a bit flat. But now, now two weeks later, I'm I'm like. Well, it it kind of works for that song, so I yeah. I don't know how I feel now. See, I I think it's good that it stays at that level because it's I think this song has got both a melancholy sense to it, like a sadness about it, um, but it's almost like a the but the music is almost like defiantly so. There's a bit where Ronnie again drums, it's like <laughs> and he you know sets up a chorus in such a heavy kind of energetic way um, that. You get past the kind of the sadness of the song. It seems very wistful all the way through and melancholic, which is weird considering he wrote this when he was like twenty-one or something like that. 
Um, and he's talking about sunsets and sadness and someone not, you know, putting the best face forward and it being, you know, kind of a, yeah, look, I know you don't, you're not happy, but at least try to pretend to be happy. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that fits to me. Uh, yeah, I think there's, yeah, there's some artistic merit to that. Yeah. I, I, I think there's just the, the singer in me because I enjoy singing along to things yeah, so much that I want it to go somewhere else. And when it doesn't, it, I feel like it, it, it physically hurts me. <laughs> Um, which I know is probably an overreaction, but mm. I, it's just a problem I've always had with the song. Well, but I, it is a good song. I'm so conflicted and so torn about this. Guess how long it took to write? I I don't know. Eight minutes apparently. Very very mm. quick, quickly written song. Um, I th- I think they've they've got like, they've done a fantastic. Job and what here. was the me- why was that why why did they only have it's just, eight minutes? It's just in the kind of killers mythology, and again, I'm using stuff I found online when I've been doing a bit of research, but it's known as it took them, you know, it's one of those moments that took him, you know, hardly any time to, to write. A bit like one of those, you know, oh, it took them, the song took longer to record than to, to actually write, you know, that kind of thing. Um, right, okay. So, and I think, again, this is a song that really sticks in my head because it is a song that, right, you know, intentionally or not, it's youthful, but youth reflecting on sad kind of like melancholy issues. And it really is in the, in the mid 2000s, you know, there was time before we had, you know, a global, you know, kind of financial crash and then the climate completely messing up and Trump presidency and just living in an age of... Oh, you mind. mean before the year 2000? But no, I, I'm not saying I'm going to speak to you or anything like that. I'm saying, I'm not saying climate change. It's not been a great 20 years, has it? No, it's been fantastic. Yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful watching everything go to complete crap. But, um, but what I'm saying is, at that time, there weren't any really big major problems, at least it didn't seem like that to me, being a, being a privileged white kid growing up in, in you know, where, where I grew up. So this was a song that you could actually start to get a bit obsessed with yourself and your own problems and put this on and be like, yeah, man, life is sure tough and melancholic. I'm going to listen to The Killers and have this kind of, you know, strong emotional bond with this song. Um, that's what I go back to. I get back to these teenage feelings, and maybe it's just me because you know when you listen to a song, it defines it for you. But it, it does take me back to those kinds of you know those kind of days and what seemed like problems and you know issues just really were not at all. Mm. Well, f- <laughs> fair enough. I've nothing to add to that. I love that. That's just the only reaction is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so I've I've kind of ripped into the 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 vocal and the and the you know the chorus not going anywhere but um on a positive side i want to add that stormer is absolutely killing it in this song the bassist mark stormer the bass are you talking about the bass here uh i must be if that's mark Stormer. See, i don't remember the bass <laughs> <laughs> kooning's guitar isn't yeah, it I, i've always struggled with it. i think he's i think it's because they've both got names that are slightly you look at them and think how do you pronounce that um but i think um I think you mean you must mean the guitarist because he's doing the, the bulk of the work here. Okay, like fine. The, the, an incredible. Well, you might go. I just can't remember. The well, I have. I've, meant, I've, I've also gone on to mention that uh, Stormer and Vinucci Junior. Um, are very reminiscent in, of Larry and Adam in this particular track. Yeah, uh, I've, I've, they I've, lock together like those two. Definitely, yeah. steady kit fitness and a driving baseline. I mean that that that's sounds familiar to me. Steady kit fitness. Yeah, is that what you just come up with? No, it was I've stolen it from an iTunes review of songs of experience. I think steady kit fitness. Yeah, steady kit <laughs> fitness. I like I like it though. It, it's a perfect way to describe that style of drumming. Fair enough. Um, there's there's really a lot of expression in the drum and bass section. Yeah. 
Yeah. And there's a lot to like about this song. I just have a, my own little thing about uh, melody and and that chorus. Uh, but you. but yeah, it was uh, the fourth single released from this album, and it was released on May the second, two thousand five, and got to eleven in the UK charts. Yeah, that's a long time later. That's almost Samstown territory. Yeah, um, just a little game. If you um, if you want to see how big of an impact this uh, song has had, if you are like me entirely, you know, around the age of thirty or so, um, or or older, I guess, um, just go up to one of your friends and say and and sing the first line, smile like you mean it, and just see if they do the the, the keyboard synthesizer bit afterwards. Cause I bet they will do. I bet you can put money on them doing it. I, I don't know if that's true. Right. Well, you're you're meeting someone tonight who we know likes the killers. Try it, try it out. Right, okay. And you're, you're actually going to a little gathering. So in the, I, I want you to turn off the music in the middle of the gathering, pause it, and just go, smile like you mean it, and then see what happens. I bet everyone, at least one person... That's will do one that. way to guarantee an early night, I suppose. <laughs> uh, so, track four, Somebody Told Me, 3 minutes, 17 seconds. Second single released March the 15th, 2004, and this got to number one. Where? In the UK? UK chart, yeah. Wow. I mean, I guess this was, this is something we've not really talked about, but the Killers to me have always seemed like an odd example of an American band that has a much more loyal UK fan base than. I feel like I I thought right this, wrong, I, I thought know. this album was recorded in the UK. I genuinely thought it was recorded in London, and hmm. it's not. Was it there was some um, some I think post production stuff done in uh, in London. Oh yeah, you can definitely hear that on the record. <laughs> I hear all the cabbies in the background. Um, I think this is the first song so far on the album that all four members of the Killers had a hand in writing. Yeah, I, I noticed that, and I mean that that probably colours the way I think about it because you you can take each one of the elements. I mean, the the bass is so infectious on this, and sort of pumping, I guess would be the word that a cool person might use to describe it. Um, each element is is fantastic on this. Um, and it is fully developed, and you can take away something catchy from each bit, even the drums, which, as I said, in the middle of a club, put this song on, you'll see so many people on the dance floor either clapping their hands or stomping their feet to, yeah. to the bit where it goes, don't, don't. It, it is. I, well, I, I mean, I love the the um, crazy chugging, it's like a muted guitar slide kind of thing. Is that the right thing? In the what, is that, is that, what, is that... What, Yeah, what he's doing is, he's, from my understanding, what he's doing is putting his hand just gently over the strings and doing... I mean, it's a very edgy technique and just sort of... Do you know what? There's a guitar here. Right, I won't it's not plugged to, in. No, but you won't need that to get the effect. And obviously this won't sound like the, the actual song because I don't know what it is, but it's something like... Or probably the higher up. He's basically doing that kind of thing until it actually builds up. I hope the mic picked that up. Probably didn't do it. It didn't sound very good, but you know, like that, that's, <laughs> that's the you know, Johnny uh, guitar masterclass for you. Um, I think each song up to this point is building off the last. He, what does that mean? And so it's like build, there's a momentum building up through right. each song. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, they made the decision to put bangers first. It's very interesting that yeah, I think yeah, I think the the the. The structure of the um, the set list, the al- the album order, yeah, it so far has just kept building and building and building and, and um, bangers first. I mean, the, the, certainly the first half of this album would be great to listen to for pre drinks. <laughs> um, this this reminds me of um, "Oh You Can't Leave Behind" in that way because um, it, it does have that savvy pacing where you, you're hitting people instantly with with big songs that they've heard on the radio. Yeah. And this is the way that a lot of albums are produced because 
when we had CDs back in the day, you would listen to track one and put it on. I know obviously you could skip, but there wasn't as much of a kind of pick and choose mentality. And so you know that you want someone to be grabbed right at the start. And if you've got weaker songs, let's put them towards the back and hide them because maybe people won't even get that long. So yeah, if you are putting a record on before you go out, if you are, you know, having a drink before you go out, this would be a fantastic album to put on before you go out. But you'd probably be getting your taxi around about the time that um, Andy, you're a star, comes on. And thank God, I'd say. <laughs> um, so the baseline in this song is everything I need in life. <laughs> were, you, were you drunk when you wrote these, these I, I wasn't, though. I w- it was quite late at night, though. Mm. Um, I just it, I just really enjoyed this song. Yeah. Um, it's something I think I feel like I've always looked over this song. Overlooked it, it, you mean? What did I say? Looked over it. Overlooked, yeah. yeah, yeah. Overlooked this it's, song. It's a petty, um, pedantic point. But... Do you want me to redo that? No. Okay. <laughs> right. Humanizes it. Um, but it, no, the song really is incredible. Mm. It's it's. I, I'm so surprised that I've been able to leave this album for for so long because I was finding so much that yeah. Um, I really liked about it. I, I went back to um. Because I remember hearing this for the very first time, not on the on on the um, very rare this actually, not on the radio, but on Jules Holland, um, because the killers were on there. You can watch a clip of that online, and Brandon's got an awful haircut, and he's wearing a waistcoat and a, sh- a shirt. Yeah, just, they did sh- not look good at this point. No, they really didn't. And to be honest, even though I really enjoyed that performance, and I was you know telling about people about it the day after, and, and you know raving about it, I um, I don't think they were as polished and defined as it could be if you look back now it's a bit of a ropey performance guitar sounds good actually but brandon is, is i think great. a lot of these songs would be very hard to recreate live yeah and the, the production it, it's a, look it's a closed can situation we're in here now um so yeah you've got to listen to how good the production is the way that the person has and i've, I've, I've not i don't know the producer look it up on wikipedia if you want to know um has track things you know like the the i was waiting to hear you know the who who bits you know in the pre-chorus yeah because i knew where they would put them in the mix to give it that maximum impact and even mr brightside is weird if you listen to it on headphones rather than just relying on you know listening to it in tesco or you know wherever just overhearing it um, there's <laughs> how many people do you think are going to Tesco to listen to the charts? I really hope they're playing the killers at Tesco. <laughs> <laughs> just there in a boogie in the milk car. No, but it's like it's a kind of thing that, that nowadays it's so it's become such a, just a part of the background noise that they shouldn't have music actually in, in, in shops or anything like that. It's just irritating. Anyway, um That'd be eerie if it was just silent. They should have like, like It's a screaming child in the distance. Well, fair enough, yeah. I suppose it does drown out some of the less appealing sounds. But anyway, the point I'm making is listen to the way that things are produced in headphones because at the, at the very start, that, that voice that Brandon's doing, um, the coming out of my cage stuff, it's only tracked on one side of the headphones and it's using this weird distorted voice. And you just you, do, you miss stuff like that if you hear it just you know yeah, on the jukebox yeah. or as we said in Tesco. So the producer is Jeff Saltzman. Uh, Jeff. Him and uh, and the Killers themselves uh, produced the whole album, mm-hmm. uh, apart from the last track. But we'll get to that. And and I agree. There's there's a lot you you will miss if you if you mm-hmm. don't do this close cans. Um, speaking of Brandon, though, I think he sounds unhinged on this song. Yeah, and I think one of the things it does make this... and, and that's good. By yeah, the way. it's 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 a wild song, isn't it? It's wild. It's infectious. Um, it's got a sense of danger about it. And also, um, we, there's this kind of flirtation with uh, cross-dressing and things like that, which at the time was a lot more 
I don't know, unusual, I suppose, to hear in a mainstream yeah, song. Yeah, it was a lot more fringe culture, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Whereas yeah. now, obviously, and and good, we've got that moving into the mainstream, that kind of thing. But at that time, it was like, oh, this is, sounds interesting and quirky, and I've not heard that before. And obviously, you don't want to reduce a whole culture to just being like a quirk on an album, but it was engaging and something we hadn't heard very much of by at that point in mainstream rock music. So I think that's a really, a really positive bit about this. Um, I mean, the song itself, we've been gushing about it, but it seems to be... About about Brandon being cheated on again, um, but with but with a different person. He's been unlucky in love. This lad hasn't. Sounds it? like it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it seems like that, and I think it's got that club feel to it of the chaos of a club, and you can almost imagine that through all these people, he he hears rumors. And I something. think that's because so many of these songs could be played in a in in yeah. the right sort of club. Actually, let's let's really quote from Brandon on this because I think this is a good time to mention it. So, um I was 20, 21 trying to write about what I was doing and seeing in these indie nightclubs in Vegas. I was listening to Pulp and David Bowie and trying to channel all of that stuff. It's one of Mark, that's a basis, great moments on bass too. So, yeah, that's him, you know, from the yeah. horse's mouth. He was trying for this and he's got 10 out of 10 in my book for what he was actually, you know, going for. If I could write one song this good. Hmm. I I would die a happy man. I always think the um there's quirks to it in terms of its grammar. Um, you know the the that it says something like February of last year. You know, rather than last February, which would ruin the song in terms of the the flow of it. You know, <laughs> February of last year, and it sounds like what century are you from, Brandon? I mean, you you're right. In in ter- if if I was having a conversation and you said that. Yeah, uh, but in terms of a song, it's never struck me as strange. Well, maybe it will now from from thenceforward. Yeah. No, can you imagine if we wrote one song like just one. That's all I want, just one of those songs. Mm. People always seem to criticize one-hit wonders and I'm like, "Why? They had a hit." Yeah. That like it's just so stupid that you, you once you've had one hit, you can never take that away from anybody. And hopefully you can live off the royalties. And look at Slade and Noddy Holder lives off a Christmas song. Yeah, that's true. I, mean, I think there might be some Slade fans who, who would who would say that they're not one hit wonders. I don't think we have a huge uh, conglomerate of Slade fans listening Send to us. Send in your Slade requests for Tummel <laughs> and we will uh, ignore them. Track five then. All these things that I've done. And uh, extra points, Johnny, if you can name who this is. Uh, song features. Oh, it's a gospel group. Guest artists called. Um, I remember there was a guest artist. Um, the somethings. <laughs> That's what they usually call. That's gospel. right. It's the somethings. No, it's the sweet inspirations. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, they sound great. Um, um, good. Yeah, they do. This is the third single released August thirtieth, two thousand and four, and it got to eighteen in the charts. Hmm. So it's strange. You think it'd be higher? Again, this is. Glastonbury fodder, isn't it, as well? This is a song, again, almost designed to be a moment at Glastonbury where you can get everyone chanting along. And we'll come back to that chant in a bit, but we've got a very strong U2 connection here. So, um, so uh, this is Brandon Flowers writing for Enemy in 2013, actually. It's quite a long time after this. When that one, this song, was cooking, I was really into U2's All You Can't Leave Behind. I thought that was an amazing comeback for them, and I was blown away by how many great songs were on that record. There's an earnestness, street. Uh, there's an earnestness, Spirit, soul to you too, and I was trying to channel that. I wanted a song that stood up to those songs. We also took the bass line from David, a David Bowie song called Slow Burn from Heathen, although enough time has probably passed now that I think he won't sue us. 
Um, <laughs> now I noticed this because it had been mentioned in some of the contemporary re- reviews at the time. You know, um, people getting angry saying like, "This is literally this isn't a tribute. This is ripped off." That that is that is ripped off. And I looked at, at the song, and there's no denying it. And Brandon said it. They've nicked that baseline, but it's very infectious, and you know, whatever. I'm gonna sue you, Brandon. Yeah. Is that is that David Bowie? Yeah. I'm not. Even, I was sounds do... a bit like David Beckham as well. Yeah, it sounds kind of <laughs> moronic. Yeah. He's got a quiet you're, you're really awful at David Bowie, but he's, yeah, he's, he's still got, doing... He's got that quiet voice, hasn't he? You can still kind of, you know... Yeah. You can, just, you can just hear it sometimes. <laughs> you know Adam Buxton at David Bowie? He's got a really good David Yes, Bowie. he does. I don't do... I don't do... I mean, I, the, the joke is that I don't do impressions well. And I don't... Uh, maybe you no. haven't got that. You have him rolling in the aisles at the... 60-odd uh, 60 60 episodes in. Maybe, maybe that's <laughs> been lost on you so far. Okay, well, anyway... Um, Earnest, um, soulful, spiritual, these are all things that we can definitely say about this about this song. All these things that I've done, that is, it's almost the same kind of grammar as all, all that you can't leave behind, isn't it, as well? So maybe that yeah. was a direct influence. Um, it, is, it is very U2-y, um, although it's got a lot more yeah jive and kind of soul to it than you would not associate with U2. Yeah, the piano is... Um... Doesn't make it. It makes it seem on you two. Like it sounds. I mean, for this for this song, it sounds like the Killers. Uh, that the, the piano, the the just the you know the slow ding ding ding. I always think that microwave's going off. No, it's blood like blood dripping from an open wound. Yeah. I've always thought that, <laughs> I, and I, um, maybe that fits into the murdering thing storyline that's going on yeah. between some of the other songs. That, maybe that's just me. It probably is. I assume it is. <laughs> um, slow, elongated, uh, sustained synth and guitar. Yeah. Have you noticed that? What do you mean? So, s- so there'll be one note pressed on a keyboard, and then it'll that note yeah, will okay. will Carry go for a long time, yeah. and then the same thing, thing, uh, same thing happens with guitar. Yeah, it's very, it is very echoey, and and I really got obsessed with like just oh, what's happening there, and you know, yeah. really focusing on every little bit as it how is, it's put it, together. It, it, that's the thing about the killers, though. At least on this album, there's such interesting stuff going on at each at each level that you could just say, right, I'm going to listen to this song purely focusing on on the guitar or purely focusing on um, the drums or the bass or something like that. And I guess if you're focusing on the bass, you'd be like, oh, I've heard that before. If you're a David Bowie fan, um, there's an optimistic quality as well to a line like, if you can't hold on, hold on. Um, which I I always like that line. It sticks in my head of okay, even when you're right at the end of you know something, it seems like you can't go on. Yeah. What else are you gonna do? You know, you have to hold on. Yeah, another classic. I think this is either a, a great opener or a great closer. I don't really think if I was putting a set list together, I would put it anywhere anywhere other than an opener or a closer. But it works here in terms of the pacing of the album because you've had four... Oh, yeah, I'm on about live, though. Yeah, yeah. And you know that you're going to get a big a big sing-along with it. And I was also thinking, you know that, that line about him, him saying he's so much older? Um, that's probably going to rankle with him nowadays because I mean, he's 21 when he wrote this song. so yeah. Or 20, but he doesn't even remember. Um, so I think all the way through this album, you've got a sense of them being a little bit beyond the years and maybe being a bit older than they actually... You know, feeling older than they actually are, but that doesn't matter because of the energetic quality to the rest of the song, so it all works. Um, right, should we talk about this soldier and soul business? The elephant in the room. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I. Do you want to do a joke about it or something? Well, I, I, I don't. I, I feel like I'm going to steal somebody else's joke, and and I think no matter what we do, then 
that that's going to happen anyway. So I went watching Bill Bailey in 2008, something like that. Mm-hmm. Bill Bailey, great comic, uh, like like a lot of his stuff. Uh, Part Troll was particularly good. Yes. Uh, I actually think I prefer the earlier stuff now. Um, mm. But famously made fun of you too, as well, in a way which yes. is, which is I think actually quite nice and not mean spirited. Yeah, um, he's basically taking the mick out of Edge's effects. He's not, and he's not the only person to to. Um, berate the line I've got soul but I'm not a soldier mm. but he, he was like at, th- at that point saying that's like saying I've got ham but I'm not a hamster mm. which in wouldn't it be hammer I've got I've got ham but I'm not a hammer no well I, I, I think hamster works anyway it's, I mean the, <laughs> I also it's sound, was, in isolation it sounds it sounds meaningless yeah. um, have you got a joke written that you want to do before no, we I go thought, into the actual I, thought, I no? thought the one that you thought always said was I've got toast but I'm not a toaster uh, I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever said that that must be somebody else I've got banana but I'm not a banana no <laughs> make your own up guys yeah. and then send them to us on, I mean, it would be really funny if we got a, a stream of them on Twitter just completely random ones that still work I've got a car but I'm not a carpet yeah, I think we could do better than that. Oh, it's better than, than some of yours, yeah. Okay, we'll do a Twitter competition then. Right. Where, when this episode goes out, so as you're listening, there will be a Twitter uh, conversation going on right now. <laughs> Who can come up with the worst? Um, that still works. And maybe I'll try and find a prize for, for you. I don't know. That'd be nice. Um, um, actually, actually, to be fair, we should, and we should mention this. Um, you can obviously get in touch with us on Twitter and via Gmail. Tyler, what's the uh, what's the email address? Because we do like hearing emails. Um, I've just been looking at the sheer... I'm not trying to blow our own trumpet here, but the sheer variety of places. And it, I always like getting an email from someone out in the middle of somewhere I've never even visited before. You know, So um, so if you want to send us a message of any sort, it can just be any random thoughts that you've got or any album requests that you want us to do because um, we are going to have a Twitter poll next for the next episode, aren't we? Yes, we are, yeah. So, first of all... I... This will already have happened. What? This will already have happened. Oh, right, okay. Well, you can still vote. Yeah, so... If you go to... If you go to at rev underscore u2 on Twitter, from now on, every few episodes, we're going to do fan polls. So, you do get to decide what album we do. We're going to put four up... Within reason. With... um, of, Of... some song, uh, some albums that you've already requested us to do, some that we want to do, and some that I, I would describe as wild cards, right? Mm. So you get to vote on those, and whichever wins, we'll do. Uh, and we're going to continue to do, the, do them every few episodes, so just keep an eye out on Twitter. That's at Rev underscore U2. It's the best place to go to keep up with what we're doing, mm-hmm. and we promise if if something wins, we'll do it. It doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Um, so, right. so, so there you go. Um, also, if you do want to get in touch with us, Rebel Type guys, you like to email. We know that. You know that. And the review to email address is review to contact at gmail.com. We do love getting your emails. We always try to reply in a timely manner. Um, try. Yeah. We'll always try. We will, we will get back to you. It just might not be straight away. Yeah. The best way to get in contact with us straight away is always on Twitter. And that Twitter address, again, is at rev underscore u2. Also, can we have some more reviews on iTunes because it kicks us 
Higher up the ratings. Hey, we got a one-star review on uh, iTunes. Are you joking? No, they didn't say anything. They just gave us a one. Too uh, cowardly. Do, do you know who I reckon it is? Oh. I think it's the Garden Tarts. That's, that doesn't seem likely. <laughs> <laughs> I, love our show, I think they're trying to start a, start a feud with us. Well, get, well we get, uh, Garden Tarts are, uh, are, are, are great people. Um, they're American fans, and uh, they've been sharing their experiences of, of being uh, U2 fans. Um, so I highly recommend the Garden Tarts podcast. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Right, so let's get back to this then. Um, that chant at the end of all these things that I have done, it's a really good bit to unify the crowd. And the answer that I've heard given about why this is, is because Brandon, as a, as a Mormon, um, he's got that obligation on him spiritually to go out and start you know knocking on doors and saying have you heard the good news you know of Jesus Christ and all other kind of stuff but while he's still got his faith he's obviously living a rock and roll lifestyle big similarity though with you two who in the October era had that consideration of shall we actually just quit this band because it's irreligious it goes against our form of Christianity um so he is he's got soul He's religious, and also he's got soul because he's a soulful dude. This is a soulful track. Um, but he's not a soldier, and he's not a god soldier, in inverted commas, going out knocking on doors. So I think that's partly what that's about. He's become more religious, hasn't he, as time gone, has gone on? I don't know. I don't know how you gauge that sort of thing. Um, he's still... I mean, if he was ever worried about the rock and roll like you know lifestyle, he's still performing on stage. But maybe it just informs him the way it informs you too, as in he doesn't go on a massive drug benders and, and end up, you know... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like you. It's the art that I'm interested in. Yeah, exactly. But know. that's just an interesting thing about that line, yeah. I guess. And it, it maybe explains it a little bit more. Um, do you know what's interesting? The, the, the chorus to this song, on its own, in isolation, is... It sounds quite underwhelming. If you, if you said, oh, I've got a great chorus for a song, you read, it's going to destroy Glastonbury. Do you want to hear it? You're like, yeah, okay. And then if you just think about what he actually says, he goes, yeah, you know, you got to help me out. I know I'm doing it in a, in a sort of... Smile like you mean it way. Yeah, in, yeah. A, in a kind of dull way. But it's not a chorus that you would expect normally. It's quite understated. But because of the power uh, of yeah, the rest of it... Yeah, you could very easily go up a key, though. Well, I'm imagining him having sound in my head and it doesn't sound very good. A singer like Brandon Flowers could do it. Yeah, but it would sound weird. Like his own, It's almost like it works that he sounds a bit annoyed and a bit messed up. He's going, yeah. Well, fair enough. I'm just putting off the inevitable here. Um, oh. Going to the next track. Fair enough. Uh, well, here we go. Well, let's get let's get it done. Um, Andy, You're a Star, 3 minutes, 14 seconds. Probably the shortest song on the album, actually. Not short enough. Um, this is I've just got in my notes skip 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 I, I keep waiting when I hit, when I hear this song I try I keep trying to give it a chance because so far we've got five absolute classics really and yeah. this is a bit like all you can't leave behind because there's a swift drop off in quality um, after you know after kite we would have on um, oh no sorry after in a little while um, on all you can't leave behind the quality goes down okay whereas on <laughs> I, here, I disagree wholeheartedly you know, and if you want to hear our very long discussion of this obviously go back to the, that review 2 episode um, SoundCloud Spotify iTunes anywhere good podcasts can be heard mm. um, this I keep trying and I keep waiting for something interesting to happen and I, I got tricked listening to this the other day so I was listening in uh, closed cans obviously and I was listening to it and the bit at the start where Brandon goes one, two, and then, you know, the keyboard comes in. And I don't mind the guitar, even though it seems purposefully annoying and abrasive and repetitive. But then the song goes nowhere. 
And when he starts singing the chorus, Andy, you're a star, I think, oh my God, this sounds awful. And it's all about, I'll let you talk in a bit, it's all about um, this guy who Brandon was made fun of by at, at school, who's called Andy. And it's all just a bit petty. And you think, shut up. What do yeah. you think? Um, so it was a sports, a high school sports star at his a school, Jack. wasn't it? Yeah. Hey, Brandon. And then he'd like um, stuff him in a locker. Lyrically, there's an all right story being told, but I, I think, and, and maybe, I mean, I don't know what the target audience for The Killers was. It's, it's, it, I think for this album, it was certainly younger people than we are now. Mm. What annoying. An, an American thing. culture, I assume, is very. Um, Different high school culture is very different but they, but they, to to how we experience it over here. Well, there's still bullies and there's yeah, still there's, there's still bullies, sports but, people and nerds but, and popular people and geeks. But I don't think you know there's no sporting superstars in in in, in Britain. No, in UK. Um, what are you saying? High schools. There's no. There's no. Oh, like, like the captain yeah, of the, of the yeah, team. you know, in the cheerleading team. Like it's all like, and I'm and I'm getting this purely from Hollywood, but it seems to be like you know, there's there's always one superstar athlete in yeah. in the school, and that's that certainly wasn't my experience of high school. This is weirdly um, making me think about the Ramones film Rock and Roll High School. If you've not seen that, please go and watch it. Cause it's such a great. There's a nerd who gets bullied. He's a freshman that gets bullied. In every scene that he's in, he's like got you know, the big glasses and stuff, and he's, he's holding a massive map of the school, and then people just go, freshman, and they just grab him and stick him into a locker and just do all, you know, all the kind of, like, classic cliche stuff about that. It's so funny. I used to think uh, that a freshman, because mm. I'd only ever heard it in Saved by the Bell and things like that, yeah. I used to think it was a fresh mint. <laughs> like, the, the name for that group of, of people in that whatever year it's in was yeah. freshman. Oh, they're freshmints. Well, had no it just tool. it just made sense because I didn't know what the word freshman meant, well, and I I knew what a freshman was. I've got a mishearing later on, which is which is interesting. Um, so yeah, Andy um, Starr. I'm not a big fan of it. it. It lyrically, it's okay. There's a nice story being told. I think it's meant for a younger audience. Um, the YouTube connection in this song uh, is that the video for this song was um, shot in black and white by uh, Anton Corbin, oh. uh, who Why also did you bother making a video for this song. What a waste of everyone's time. This this was uh, so Anton Corbin has worked with uh, the likes of U2 and Depeche Mode and David Bowie mm-hmm. and famous uh, for that grainy black and white look that U2 got in the Joshua Tree. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we're not really big fans well, of I mean, that. Considering how much we talked about anything else but this song in that. Last yeah, this movie, could be our longest one yet. The one thing I would say is, um, is you can tell this is is a song that's going to get some popularity purely on the basis that if you've got a mate called Andy who likes the Killers, someone might put this on, you know, in a jukebox, and then everyone can like point at them and go, "Oh, Andy, you're a star." I bet, I bet that's happened quite a bit. So, yeah, I, I, it's not a very good song. It really slows the album down as well for no good reason. Well, let us know if you disagree at Rev underscore U2. On top. Now, this is a firm favourite of mine, and it always has been. I don't really know why, because it doesn't start on a very energetic note, like Jenny was a friend of mine. You know, we've got like drama built up, and it's not got an instantly recognisable guitar riff, but it does have that... Which has stuck in my head for a long, long time. Um, I think I like this because it seems a bit more measured, and we seem to have had so far either big melodramatic songs 
or swings and misses like Andy, you're a star. This just feels like it is a bit more measured, but is still very successful, still very anthemic. It's got almost like a tired, hungover feeling to it. The lyrics all seem a bit kind of jaded, but also you then have moments like when the guitar comes in later on, when it's just the guitar on its own centre stage, and it's really joyous and and atmospheric. So I I, I think this song is, is great, and it's simple in terms of, you know, the choice to say just have the guitar doing what it was doing in the chorus. In the chorus, you know, the... Chorus? Chorus. Sean, Sean Connery. <laughs> um, doing what it was doing in the chorus, but just having it on its own, you know, and brought into the middle of the mix. And So I love it for that reason. And it's got that very, very killersy tone, you know, to it, which they, they established very quickly on here. What do you think of On Top? Uh, considering this, this song has been in my life since 2004, um, it... I, there, there was a, a time a couple of years ago uh, in the old house uh, when we first recorded Re- Review 2, uh, the Review 2 as we mm. used to call it. Yep. Um, it was a nice basement, Victorian basement. And basically you could make as much noise down there as you wanted and no one would, the neighbours would never hear you, you couldn't hear it outside. Could have murdered someone. I, I didn't. No, it could. But I didn't. <laughs> not, not suspecting. You're not, you're not branding flowers over here. Look, I didn't do it, all right? Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> Just put my hatchets back. Um, so anyway, yeah, so I could do, um, I could listen to music really loud. And there was one night I was I was on my own and I was pretty drunk and this song just came on mm. and it just struck me how good it was. Yeah. And it was as if I'd just heard it for the first time. Yeah. Even though it's a song that I should really have known off by heart and then that was it. I immediately wanted to learn the lyrics and, you know, mm. know how to sing along to it. So... Yeah, it's a fun song to play as well. And now, I, now I, it is one of my firm favourites for for a killer's oh, track. Because I thought when I said it was one of my favourites, I thought you would, um, I thought you were going in the opposite direction. Like, oh, I don't really know or like this song. That that's great. Um, I have always misheard the line though. You know, later on where he says, um, he says, I always thought he said, "Take your eyes off of my bride." tonight as in someone looking at your wife and yeah. then it started a fight and there's this because that fits with the rest of this there is a lot of romance and love and arguments and violence on this album um, which you know it fills out it's repeated all the way through but it isn't that what's the lyric uh, now i can't even think about it. what is the actual lyric do you know it uh i, I can't Pri- prize maybe pride i think it might be prize i think it's, I think it's pride on top in the name of love i'm just going to go over to our google machine which means I have the auspicious job of filling. Um, the Killers are a band who... <laughs> Come on, find it quickly. You got it? I'm just trying to find it. Um, where are they now, the, the Killers? They're still playing, but they're not as good as they used to be. Um, I would say, for my money, the best album after this one is probably Day and Age. Um, because it's got such amazing songs as Spaceman on it. Well, I'm going to cut into that lunacy. It says here... Um, Did you intend that lunacy for the Spaceman thing? No. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, so it says Pride here. Um, this is another spiderweb standard yeah, thing. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just do a double check. Uh on a, on another site well, because you know put the kettle on listeners if you if you if you got this but bar. Pr- uh, pride on the first two that we checked right. so uh, that's a comfortable hundred percent yeah, it's, it's definitely not bride anyway which is what I thought it would be but it but would, pride would work it would fit yeah it yeah. would fit um, all right so anything more to say on, on top I mean it's it's not a song which has a clear story then again would he say bride why because well, he's being Mormon 
We could have a few of them. Brides. Brides. Yeah. Some, some Take your eyes off, off, off of my brides. Some branches, not all not all mums, are, are polygamous, yes. Um, well, anyway, there we go. Fun fact about, about Mormons there. Right, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> should we go into glamorous indie rock and roll? No, because I've not said anything about it on top yet. You said you liked it. Um, I love the screaming guitar, and it's got this beautiful 80s-style bass um, running through it. Which What does that mean? It, just listen to it. You, you'll know what I mean. It's sexy and an upbeat, but also kind of sounds downbeat. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It is a lot to do with sexuality. I think. I mean, that it's called on top, and yeah, it, it, yeah, it has a melancholy sense to it, but also a kind of defeated quality to it. Yeah, it's yeah. a great song. To, if um, it, I mean, I've, I've recently joined a, a band for the first time in ten years. What are they called? Do you want to give us a plug? Are you on, uh, are you on anywhere? Well, we, I don't know at the minute because we are currently called something, but we've also found out that a tribute band to to a very famous band has got the the same name, only with the addition of UK added at the end. Right. So I don't want to plug a band that might not be called that for, for much longer. Right, so, um, so what's this space? Suffice to say, uh, if uh, if and when we start gigging, you, I'm obviously going to tell you guys. That'd be like David Brent life on the road. Um, because you can really put everything I've said about singing and, and uh, critique of live acts. You can come and say, you can come and review me. We'll, we'll review Tyler. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, what was I about to say about this song? On top. You were saying about this oh yeah, I would guitar. love to. I would. I would love to play this song live. Yeah, it's. It would. Song. I. I would. Oh, I'd do that now. Yeah. Right now. So you did a decent synthesizer. A good guitarist. One of my favorite things in the in the song is a false finish, where it. it oh yeah. It, it and stops then and then comes, comes back, back in. in. Yeah. Uh, you know I'm a big wrestling fan, and in 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 a wrestling match, one of the you know if it's a really intense match, one of the best things you can do to really you know keep the crowd with you is a false finish. Mm-hmm. You know it's uh, shoulders down on the mat. One, two. Oh, he gets that shoulder up. Oh, he gets that shoulder up. Mm. Feel the energy and passion there. <laughs> I wonder how many wrestling fans we've got. Very few. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, next song then. Uh, glamorous indie rock and roll at 4 minutes 15. And also, I think we should mention that we are doing the UK version of this. Yeah. I have never even heard the other song, the one that was on the US version. Have um, you? Is it called Change Your Mind or something like that? Yeah. Um, it's not I'll, I'll re- change my mind something like that it's um, it's basically the killers doing the Smiths oh, that sounds interesting to me as a, as a, as a late comer to the Smiths uh, fandom I, I do that might be a very dismissive review but for, considering we're not going to cover it no. that, that's my take oh well tough luck um, so it's glamorous indie rock and roll for you and me Tyler at the moment yeah um, this is like the worst of the killers meets Brian May <laughs> There was a um, there was a review um, online that said that, that um, Kerning looks like Brian May on live, and and the guy and they said that Venucci because he had a mustache at that time looked like um, I think it's Jason something the one who plays My Name Is Earl. They said he looks like him on on. Have you heard the rumor that Brian May wears a wig? I mean, why why would you have a wig and go for that haircut? I know. Like I'm I'm looking for Prince Charles meets a poodle. Like, but I'm looking. I've I've been looking. Sorry, King Charles. As in since past. I heard that, I've occasionally googled Brian May bald, and I think it might be true. Well, I don't care. Um, I I don't really like Brian May's guitar playing. I don't. I, yeah, I don't think we like Brian May anymore, do we? What? Why? Just because he like he's such a sellout. The, all of Queen are a sellout because they just Freddie's not. 
Well, no, he couldn't be because he's dead. But I mean, but the, the old ropey old crap. They like the music. And, and John Taylor's to. not. John Taylor hasn't done anything for twenty years. Deacon. John Deacon hasn't done anything for twenty years. No. And but, John Taylor, whoever he is. But I presume I every know. time, every time <laughs> John Taylor can <laughs> just a guy sat in a pub, you know, yeah. having a beer. But excuse me, were, were you in Queen? No. No. <laughs> um, right, but. Deacon, I assume, has got to sign off on. I might be wrong, and I'm sorry if Queen fans are getting, I'm, I'm getting this wrong, but I assume every time. Um... From the last article I read on, about this, he only really checks in on you know on the financial side. He yeah. doesn't. He doesn't do any. This he doesn't. Is what, this is what I mean. Every time that you know DFS phone up and say, "Can we please use one of your apparently beloved songs to sell um, some January sofas, please?" They, they've not even got to the word "can we" before Brian's like, "Yep, yep, yep, whatever. How much? Give me the money." <laughs> You don't need that much money, and I assume Deacon signing off on that. You know, I find it. I, yeah, but if we had a, if we had a hit song, we'd we'd be uh, any. Advert, I wouldn't. I wouldn't sell out. I would. I would love to write a song that people wanted to put on adverts. If if there was like a um a, a new toilet cleaning product, right? Okay, which used like some sort of built up air to like clean crap off your bowl, right? And they're like. Guys, can we please use under pressure because it'll work so well for this toilet thing we've got. They would, again, they wouldn't have even had to mention what product it was. Toilet, yeah, fine, whatever. You know, do, 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 squirt, like, you know, new toilet. Yeah, but if you wrote under pressure and they wanted that song, would you do it? Would you give it to them? If I already had millions in the bank, like, look, I'm not trying to say that artists need to have incredible integrity. Actually, yes, I am it's kind mo- of saying it's that. Money, it's money for old rope. Yeah, but there's so much, how much rope do you need? <laughs> Fair enough. Um, glamorous indie rock and roll, then. Yeah. All right. Let's have a listen to um, to some uh, some quotes from Brandon on this, okay? Because I think this is a song that is very, very misunderstood in a lot of ways. Okay. So, um, I think at heart this is meant to be an ironic song. Okay. So, in August two thousand and nine, frontman Brandon Flowers told Time Out Chicago, "There's so much snobbery. You go through high school and all the paranoia and crap that goes with it. It's bull s. It's BS. I'm not swearing on this. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Just... I don't know what you mean." It's it's BS. No, not with you. Well, work it out yourself later on. I just didn't want to be like that. We like big songs and we're going to embrace it. So, I think Brandon's saying there, he is saying that the indie rock and roll that is mentioned in here and this person saying that they're flipping through a thrift store magazine, it's it's a joke on those people. These days we call them hipsters, although that wasn't really in the lexicon those days. Of people who who purposefully say, like, "Oh, I'm not listening to anything mainstream." If that song's got a catchy chorus, or it's been anywhere near the top 100, I'm not listening to that because I, while I'm polishing my um, my unicycle and waxing my mustache, I'm desperate to hear something that I, I want to listen to Belgian pots and pans music, that sort of thing. And there's no way I'm hearing you know like a song that's got a catchy chorus because that's pathetic. Um, so that's what I think Brandon's saying. But if you were to go and I've li- I've seen this in clubs around Manchester when this song comes on, people are just singing. I love I love indie rock and roll because the Killers are an example of indie rock and roll and it's glamorous. So I'm not trying to be snobby, but there's such a massive irony about that, you know, that they're embracing this as an example of the thing that that it's criticising. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's never been one of my favourite songs on the album. It's catchy though. It is, but it's it's a bit. I mean, in a way, it's really well constructed, but it's also like several songs stitched together. Yeah. And I, th- I feel like the parts. Yes. Um, that bit where he goes like lovers do on silver screen. It does sort of ramble into its own little weird yeah. thing there. Um, and then it has to stop. It screeches to a halt before it restarts. You know. 
I, but I don't mind that. I, I, I think this is a pretty good song, to be honest. Brandon I, says I, he hates I, it, by I, the way. I think it's a, a, a well-constructed song, but it's... Um, I think there's a lack of substance, and it's never done anything for me. I remember... I mean, this... I, I was meant to mention in the introduction, um, the reason I remember those bands so well and all those albums coming out at the same time so well is I was working at um, a, a local paintball company um, and which basically meant a very early morning of getting there and setting up for the day. Mm. Um, so about two, three hours before any customers would turn up, we'd be there like making sure there was enough uh, camo outfits for everyone, enough masks, enough guns. They're all all the uh, the guns were heard and uh, just setting up everything. So we went through these albums, mm. you know, almost on a constant stream. Yeah, these new albums would just turn up. And every did other people week. like this song then a lot more? Yeah, like because you'd all be very popular. You'd all be singing along to to songs like glamorous indie rock and roll, and you know, so this mm. whole album, um, I, I would I would know off by heart, and the, and the same can be said of the Kaiser Chiefs and the Streets and the Arctic Monkeys. I heard all this music and mm. got to know it all really well. Um, but even then, I remember singing along to glamorous indie rock and roll, but more that it was something to do. I didn't even enjoy it. I was just singing yeah, along for the it, sake of it. It is a sing-along song. And it, it, I've, as I said, I've seen this in clubs a lot. And if it's not Mr. Brightside or somebody told me, then it, it would be this song that you'd probably hear. And as soon as that, you know, ding, 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 all the piano comes in, people be thinking, oh, this will, this will be fun. Brandon said in 2009 that it's his least favourite killer's song. Um, and it stated that hearing that song made him want to crawl under a rock. Um, however, a, a couple of years later, they did do it um, live. So it can't be that hated by him. It's not like he's never touched it. It might just point. be that people enjoy it. I think he might get annoyed at the fact that people misinterpret what the song's about. But again, we're back to that idea of what does indie mean and does that matter? But I, I like the spirit, and obviously because I'm a U2 fan, of... I don't care about how um, how uncool this is or how popular it is. A good song is a good song if you enjoy yeah. something, and that's why Queen fans shouldn't be be bothered about me railing about about Queen as well. It, they've got catchy songs. You like it, and I genuinely Whatever. do like Queen. Um, I, I just <laughs> I, I've tried with Queen. I'm not a fan of like the constant, just you know, just the constant. We will rock you. Yeah, and um, all all the best of. I bet there's loads of B B sides that I would like, and I, I also think there's just a fundamentally at times a fundamentally stupid band, not not in, mm. unintelligent, but just bicycle, like bicycle race, fat bottom girls. The, these are just songs. It was I, a different time, and it was fun. You know, music was a lot more fun at that in in parts then. Not not it. not every song. Uh, you know, this it was still a time when novelty singles could be in the charts. <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think a novelty single would get unless it's for charity. Would a novelty single wouldn't be in the charts anymore? Well, I'm, I'm kind of happy about that. I guess. I mean, I'm not trying to be miserable, but but I I do like Queen. My main problem is I think Adam Lambert at the at the minute who has been fronting turned into a Queen podcast. yeah fronting Queen for well, that makes a sense because Killers are very Queeny, aren't they? Sorry, go on. Uh, but I think Adam Lambert is a really really great um, frontman. He's got a great stage presence. He's a great singer, and I just. Why are you hanging around with these seventy-year-old gits? Like, just like I would have so much. I imagine it pays. Quite Look, well. I, I imagine it. Re- yeah, it really does. But and he's made a name for himself. And and I guess that I I get that he's probably still doing it because he enjoys it. But I think that guy could have such a great career on his own. Mm. Uh, and I think I think that annoys me. It just. 
I'm done with Queen now. But would he have a career without that? Um, and also, also, I, th- I think he won an American talent show or something. Also, he's he's going up against the memory of Freddie, and Freddie. Look, I don't particularly like Queen, as we've firmly established. I would still say Freddie Mercury is one of the best frontmen of all time. You know, even though I don't particularly like. If Queen. he's not number one, I don't know who is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe so. maybe Silver Black. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, Natalie. Johnny. Tyler's uh, drinking and trying not to choke on his coffee. Because I'm a witty, witty man. Uh, yeah, so Believe Me, Natalie. Uh, five minutes, five seconds. Longest... Uh, no, not longest track on the album. But, almost longest track but on the long, album. But a long one, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, again, I'm torn with this song as well. Um, in itself, it's very, it's very good vocally, melodically. But I don't care about Natalie. <laughs> I just and I feel like when it's called something like "Believe Me, Natalie," then I should care about this this character, this this named character well, in the this, title. This this brings me on to my first point about the song. I was I've always really loved this song because of the feeling that it's given me and because it's produced so well. This is another one where you know you mentioned about getting into the song via a, a synthesizer or by a feeling. There's such nice opening synthesizer before Ronnie comes in with that amazing drum loop, you know, which is. Mm. It's so good. It's, and the fact that you can remember a drum loop to a deep cut, it, it shows the talent of the man being able to get melodic, hooky drums, you know. Um, but anyway, what this is about, apparently, and I'd never I'd never known this, is it's apparently written about um, a woman, Natalie, who is from the Soho area of New York, who has AIDS and is dying. And this is the last chance, you know, to, to go out and dance and have a good time, that sort of thing. Which does make it quite a, a sad song in a lot of ways. Like, kind of beautifully melancholic kind of song or or sad song not melancholic um but i i've looked through the lyrics and i apart from you know the whole soho reference maybe it's just cultural references i'm missing but i didn't get that you know when I, i've always just listened to this song and just got the feeling of it and i get that more from say, the synthesizer going yeah which is so so simple but beautiful as a line so I, I've just always loved this, and also the, the guitar is very simple but and very edgy as well. That ding a ding a ding a ding a ding. I mean, whenever we are, when I well, whenever I have a problem with this album, it seems to be that I'm having a problem with a lyric or a vocal uh, melody or something like that. Do you think it's that Brandon just wasn't as polished or as developed as the the rest of the band are at um, this point? See, I I think he's got he's got some very strong lyrics on this album and No, he's got he's got some he has got some very strong lyrics, but he's also got some absolute dud lyrics. And uh the worst part of the song for example is the the the, the middle bit, you know, the he left the station now to the floor with speculation, that bit. And it's and it's it carries on. What is it for in that old hallway? Mum says, "What do you uh why don't you stay?" You've been away for a long time. I quite like that bit. It, it just it breaks it up for me, and it's ah no. Well, I I, I the, that is my least favorite bit of the it's song. It's like he's just singing words. That's that's my problem. Well, you're gonna have a lot of problem with a lot of singers then if you know you're probably <laughs> singing words. What do you want him to do? It's, it's, there's no meaning to it. He's just oh these these words. Well, fit maybe here. the meaning's not hitting for you, I suppose. In, Possibly in that yeah. way. Um, I I. I I, I think this is one of the ones that I remember, and if I come back to this album, I'll be zooming in on on this and on top, and 
if I'm thinking about deep cuts, you know, yeah. because the singles have been overplayed, obviously. I, I love the trumpets. When the trumpets come in, yeah, like, oh my God. That's a great bit. The song gets loads of pace there. Yeah. Um, it also ends very on a very kind of unresolved note. I think if you listen to the very, very last thing, um, chord that's there, it's got this unresolved quality to it, which I think fits really well with this idea of Natalie, you know, you don't know what happens to her. Um and I think this is one of the better songs that actually is named after... There's a billion songs, as Family Guy established, that have, have women's names as the, as the titles. And um, this is one of the better ones, I think. Yeah, I, 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 as I say, I'm torn. I think I like everything um, apart from the, the lyrics. There is an old cliche under your money. Yeah. What do you think about that lyric? Do you not like that one? No. That's, that's a lyric that sticks in my mind. Still don't know what that means. Uh, tried to look on the online, see if it was some particular reference... Um, still couldn't really find something um, about that. Maybe it's that idea that people, when they're younger, have you know you get you know you like when you when you're younger. Maybe when people go to uni, they buy a, a famous work of art from a you know like a poster sale at uni and stick it on the on the wall as if like oh look I'm an individual just like everyone else now because I've got this on on the wall. Maybe it's that. Perhaps. 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 Uh, one of those. Hmm, <laughs> <bits>. <laughs> um, right. So te- number ten, midnight show, flowers and stormer. Uh, writing this one, um, I I think this is really great. Maybe maybe ha- Flowers and Stormer should have been allowed to do more. Just I mean that they also wrote um, Jenny was a friend of mine, didn't they? Yeah, and that would make sense because this is the second part of that murder trilogy. Uh, oh, this is the second part, yeah, is it? So, uh, and then everything will be alright. Is the third part? No, there was a, the last part. I can't remember. The oh, name got of. cut off. It's on a B side somewhere. Right. I, okay. I also don't think it matters too much. I mean, Killers fans might be pulling her out of that, but I don't really <laughs> care about that. I, and also, I managed to listen to this album for you know decades, what, decades, a long time, yeah, and still not connect the two. But um, maybe we need a whole album of just Sturmer and Flowers because I really like you know the jumpy, fast-paced. You know, the bass on this is incredible. You know, the like do 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 like really upbeat, fast, dangerous music. Well, I uh, do you feel like this song was ripped off by anything that came out a few years later? Have you got a sound alike in mind? Oh, yeah. Um, nothing leaps to mind. Uh, that song, um, and I, I'll try and remember what the, the band was in a minute, but it's like that, uh, what's that coming over the hill? Is There's it a, a monster? monster. I, the, honestly, I can see what you the, mean. The, the two sounds are so, so similar. No, we're not set up. We're not at Johnny's today, so we're not set up like we usually are. So we can't do our usual copyright infringement segment. What, yeah, I can, um, see, I can see what you mean. Although I really, really hate that monster song, and it was one of those ones that really came on a lot at uni, and I was like, "This is just garbage." Yeah, I mean, I was fifteen, sixteen. Um, yeah. So you'll have started to I, be exposed to that in like. Pub club kind of things. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I mean, I was it was the age where I could get served in pubs, and I was still going to an underage disco. Yeah, still using your bus pass to get into town. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. In. yeah, I had the, I had the, you know, the the um... American listeners are probably thinking, what the hell is wrong with the UK? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got a drink problem. Um, as, a, as a country, not me entirely personally. Well, possibly. Um, so yeah, um, I, I think it's it's really great, and again, something that I've I've, I've looked over a lot, uh, overlooked um, a lot. Um, just trying to translate myself. Um, I don't really know what to say about the song, but because it's it's a kind of journey, you've kind of got to experience it to mm. to feel it. This is a hard song to review in a way because 
you can be listening to it and really be in the moment. Oh yeah, that's great. And then when you step away from it, I feel like it's um, it disappears from my mind. I th- I think it's it's got the same energy as Jenny was a friend of mine, and it's obviously to do with high octane stuff. You know, he said drive faster, and there's a bit where he's talking about I took a I took my baby's breath under the chandelier. It's meant to be like a kind of I think it is meant to be like a, mur- a murder song, but a fast paced one, and. It's. I think it is. It's probably a very, very good song live. I've not seen the Killers live. Um, I have. Were they good? Uh, well, I say I've seen the Killers live. I've seen Brandon and Ronnie and the the two um, standings. They were under the banners of the, the Killers. Killers. Yeah, yeah. The, yeah I yeah. think you've seen the Killers then. Yeah. It's not like watching Queen nowadays and saying, "Oh, I've seen Queen." Like, <laughs> let's not get let's not get back to, <laughs> to Queen. Next week, next week we review Queen. Hey, Adam Lambert's come across really well in this podcast. We've not laid into him as much as we've laid into Brian May. Um, But uh, yeah, go and listen to this song. Uh, And when you do go and watch The Killers Live, is what I was about to say, um, you'll really appreciate just how hard Ronnie Venucci Jr. works. Yeah, yeah. It is incredible. He makes the drums more complex than he needs to, but in a good way. You know, he puts in so much um, little emphasis. And I think if you, you take... Uh, Ronnie Vinci Jr. away from the Killers, you really affect what makes the Killers the yeah. Killers. Uh, They're a, a different of, band without without uh, him. There'd be a lot of energy missing from that, and th- that's evident on this. And um, you'd like if you'd like to hear what that's like, go and listen to Brandon's solo stuff. Mm, I don't. Which I like. <laughs> so and I don't. Um, this um, also has very harsh vocals. Um, the way they've recorded it, they've, they've got almost like a distortion effect on Brandon's vocals here. Um, which does make which does fit because it, it's got that murderous kind of quality to it. Um, but yeah, I'd say this is one of those songs that I don't think you need to. You, you're not going to get lots of speculation and depth and sadness and things like that, which you would on other songs. Um, it's you know it's it's just chaotic and fun and impressive, and that's about it really. You know. Yeah. Finally, we get to track 11, and it's Everything Will Be Alright. This is the longest track on the album at 5 minutes 45. Mm. Uh, I used to not get... I, I used to just basically see the album as over by this point. When I, when I first listened to this song... That's interesting. I didn't used to listen to this song. It would be like, right, I'm, not, I'm done now. Um, now I do appreciate this song yeah. a lot more. Uh, I, I think I used to not like it because I thought, why is he just singing Everything Will Be Alright? That, that that just sounds a bit stupid. But I think, again, there's irony in here. Do you there's... think there's any, uh, in, in terms of um, how it's com- um, produced, any differences here? I know, well, I know that this was one of the <laughs> Oh, ones. I know, I know, oh. <laughs> From the research here, I'm not going to say, like, oh, it sounds like it was produced in a different way, because it, it was, it was produced in someone's house, wasn't it? Or did Brandon, didn't Brandon do it in his apartment or something uh, like that? Brandon did, so Brandon uh, produced it all on his own. He yeah. wrote it and produced it all on his own. It's very calm, um, but there is a lot of uneasiness, and I think once I've tapped into the sense that this repetition of everything will be all right and the, even the you know how quickly he repeats it he doesn't wait a beat he goes everything everything you know it goes like mm-hmm. really quickly it sounds more like someone's using that repetition as a coping mechanism or a comforter because things are not all right you know and there's kind that's of like, an, that's a good reading well yeah. that, that's what i think about this song because it feels like that because there are weird tense chords in this and bits of distortion and a kind of a sense of tiredness you know when you at the start when he's going like that kind of thing. You know, it sounds a bit. It does sound just like that, exactly like that. Do that more. 
um, yeah, so that's my that's my reading of this, and I, I it sounds quite. Um, this is where the new wave kind of influence from, from bands like The Cure, I think, sort of come. Oh, they're a band we should definitely do as well on Tunnel. Um, seem to rise to the foreground. Um, whereas in other places on this album, they might sound like Duran Duran or other '80s bands um, or New Order. This is where I think you get that sad, washed out kind of, but still quite beautiful Curie sort of sound, maybe. Um, so, what, what do you think about this whole thing? Um, I, I I like you. Um... Oh, thanks. I I I think I like it a lot more than I ever have done. Mm. Um, it it's not a track that I would go to. I would just want to listen to everything. I'll be all right. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna just yeah. just do that. Um, and there are a lot of great songs on this album that I would um, specifically go to listen to. But when I've listened to it as an album, I think it's a nice refrain. It's a nice mm. ending. Um, it's got like calm ending, which is what I I do like it when like Cedars of Lebanon forty. The, uh, Mothers of the Disappeared that's the sort of ending I like on an album this is the kind of song I would like to be snippeted by Bono at the end of a song yeah he has he has done snippets as well from he, he did it from um, uh, all these things that I've done imagine um, Elevation 2001 Boston Bono's mm. lying there on the heart with that girl right yeah. and he just starts singing everything will be McFisto could sing this it would suit McFisto. Yeah. It'd be difficult in 2001, though, cause, because the song wasn't written. As right atomic there. bombs are going off all around him, you know, he's there in his gold lame suit singing, everything will be all right. Throw up Willie Williams and get this, uh, get this sorted. <laughs> sure. How Willie Williams hasn't employed me yet, I, uh, I don't know. Mm. Uh, Willie, you know how to contact us. It's review... Ah, what is it? It's review... Uh, oh, that opportunity review to contact at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was Hot Fuss. Um... Probably the earliest album that came out in my lifetime that was, I think, is just a generation defining. Yeah. Um, and and again, I maybe it didn't with the way we've we've heard the single sold. Maybe it wasn't such a huge hit immediately. But it wasn't after, yeah, afterwards, I think it's undeniable. Like, if all those bands we mentioned earlier, like the Franz Ferdinands and mm. uh, the Snow Patrols, uh, um, the uh, the Arctic Monkeys, I, I think that they are. This album is the the one that's the the, the, yeah. the classic. Well, time will tell when when we when we do get older and people start to put together, you know, the best of the two thousands. And I mean, you could guess you go on Spotify now and see what. You know, even quite soon after people yeah. put together in retrospect, I can guarantee Mr. Brightside will be will be there, and it's not going anywhere either. No, um, yeah, it's it's a great album, and I think it's an album that will continue to be uh, played, and its legacy will only build. Um, and I'm really glad that I was there when it came out, so I yeah. can see the impact it had, rather than being told, "Oh no, this is a classic album," because I think that's always trickier. Yeah. To um, like when when we talk about U two albums, we can with a lot of them we can only talk about the legacy that they came with yeah. when we discovered them. You have to get through the baggage of that a lot of the time as well. Yeah, which is annoying. But imagine if we were there in October nineteen eighty and we knew, you know, like okay, maybe it was quieter. We think it was this big impact and boom, U two yeah. are on the scene. But it would have been pretty small impact. Probably wasn't, you know. Yeah. So I, that's why I really like this album because I can see where where I was and where it started mm-hmm. and what it is now. So um, 
obviously we don't want to start to review another album right away, but I've always seen Sam's Town, which is the next album after this, as that more Joshua Tree style album where they've tried to make the scope a bit bigger. Maybe that's just because there's there's it's set in the desert, you know, the picture on the front of the album is much more desertish and um was that shot by Corbin? Uh, I think it might have been. I can double check. Apologies as well for saying his name wrong. That sounds like I was just talking about um, the ex-leader of the Labour Party, um, who presumably wasn't taking pictures of... And who no one remembers now. Uh, I wouldn't worry. Well, let's not start talking about (laughs) politics. Um, Yeah, so you've got that picture anyway. That, to me, sounds like that. And I think that when when they did, you know, when you were young and the other songs that are on there, it did feel like they were trying to go for a bigger sound and a bigger feeling. To me, Anton Corbin, yeah. Oh yes, what a, what a guy I am to be able to spot that. Um, so, what do you, I mean, is that your favourite Killers album? Hot Fuss. No, Samstown. Stop looking at Wikipedia. Uh, no, um, no, it's not. Samstown is an album I've kind of always um, ignored. Um, I ignored it at the time. I've li- have listened to it since, but. And I know there's great, I know there's great stuff on there, but I would never go to listen to Samstown, and I don't know I why. Can name very few tracks off it. It's like this memory that you know I just I won't let myself access, and I, I don't know why I, I, I ignored it at the time. Mm. I ignored Sawdust. The next time I really interacted with them was uh, Day and Age. Sawdust is only a B sides and rarities compilation, though. Uh, I like um, Battleborn much more than a lot of other people. Mm. It's sad that the Killers have kind of for me at least, gone off the boil a bit. They don't seem to be producing... I'm not excited about New Killers albums, but if they were maybe going back... I think the last one was really, really good. Well, I've not maybe given it a fair shake or time of day. I'm, I'm, if I hear editors bringing out a new album, I'm interested. Whereas, so Wonderful Wonderful was the latest album that they brought out. Yeah, uh, three years ago. And the only the only track I really remember of that was The Man, which I agree is a fun song, and that's that's a good song. Oh, there's um, Tyson v. Douglas is uh, is really good. Well, maybe we'll get around to some of these other albums at some point. Um, so just a last plug for what's coming up next time, the Twitter poll. Please ne- engage with it, otherwise we'll look stupid. Next week, uh, we will be doing the first album selected by a Twitter poll, um, which is uh, will have been done by the time you listen to this, but... I think if it works out, the next Twitter poll should be up yeah. for the next time around. So, as I say, keep an eye out on Twitter. Our Twitter handle is at rev underscore u2. Uh, it's the best way to keep in contact with us, and it's the best way to vote and tell us what you want to cover. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything else to add this week, Johnny? No, not really. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Other than that, we will see you next week for the first fan-decided Twitter poll podcast. So there you go, that's happening next week. Until then, we'll see you later. Bye. Goodbye. Hi there, thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review2u or on soundcloud.com forward slash review2 or search for the Review2 podcast on iTunes. 
You can also email us at review2contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you.